Have you ever had a civil discussion with someone you disagreed with or who had a different perspective than you? If you have, what did you learn? Here on The Moderate Review, we try to have these kinds of discussions. So, let's talk. I'm your host, Jack Taggart, and on this episode of The Moderate Review, I am joined by Father Martin Diaz of the Cathedral of St. Madeline in Salt Lake City. So, let's talk. My, I was thinking of um, what's unpopular is that I voted for Joe Biden. So there's obviously a lot of people that feel that that would not be the correct choice to vote for. And I voted for him because I thought he was the best candidate. As we're uh, continuing on with this um, uh, this interview, so I guess not an awful lot of people know, or at least maybe in my circles, a lot of people don't know, um, how does one become a, a priest in the Catholic Church? And, and why did you choose to become one? The uh, the priesthood is um, the kind of the formal training is four years of post-college work. So often enough when someone has graduated from college and they don't have a philosophy or theology background, there's a year or two of philosophical theological training prior to the four years of uh, kind of graduate school in theology. That's the, the kind of the formal part of the education. We think that a calling to the priesthood comes from God in some way or another, and kind of figuring out how God chooses one person or another is kind of difficult. Nobody really has figured that out other than they themselves feel that they are called. And, you know, there's um, the people that go to seminary, there's probably a Oh, somewhere between a 30 and 50% rate of people who um, do not continue in the studies. So there's a, a number of people that start off in theological and seminary training, theological training, and decide that this is not for them. And they do the discernment to figure out it doesn't, you know, doesn't work for them. So you, you talked about how your people are called. Uh, how did you uh, feel like that you were called? Or what was your experience like that, being called to the ministry? So that was a long time ago, <laughs> and um, so I'd been a priest for 43 years and started off in seminary in 1971, so that was 49 years ago. At the time, I was an undergraduate student at Arizona State University, and in my freshman year, kind of got an inkling to think about the priesthood. Of course, I had grown up Catholic and known a um, priest not known them, but had seen them at work all my life. And so one day after Mass, I talked to one of the priests and said, hey, what's this priesthood like? And he suggested that I go to daily Mass. And so I, I daily Mass was across the street from the university, uh, very close to my dorm, very close to where I hung out on campus with the debate team. And I went to daily Mass. And uh, at Kind of the end of my freshman year, I felt drawn into the priesthood. So I went and visited the seminary and liked it. Then you had to have at least two years of college. So I stayed one more year at Arizona State. And then in my third year of college, went to the uh, seminary in Oakland. And could you maybe um, describe a little bit more of the organization of the clergy, you know, kind of what the hierarchy is like? There are, in the Catholic Church, 
there's three uh, orders. There's the deacons, the priests, and the bishops. And that's probably the most visible part of the organization, kind of that kind of a structure. But really what we do is we start with baptism. So baptism is entry in the church. That happens sometimes when you're babies, sometimes when they're adults, sometimes teenagers. So baptism is what makes us to be Christian, makes us into the body of Christ. And then the organizational structure in terms of bishops and priests is that um, priests and deacons usually work in parishes. The bishop is in charge of a diocese. And then the universal pastor is the pope. So and then there's state organizations and uh, national organizations. For example, here in Salt Lake City, our, our province or our kind of regional organization is in San Francisco. So we're in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. By another example is the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, which includes New Mexico and Cal, uh, I'm sorry, New Mexico and Arizona. And then California is divided up into two archdiocese areas, Los Angeles and San Francisco, and we're part of San Francisco. And then, of course, there's the national organization and the international organization. I guess other question, I guess, obviously, you've uh, you've been serving the church for quite some time. Um, how do you, you know, maintain and grow your congregation? So uh, mostly, well, at least in the past, it's been done through babies. <laughs> so... <laughs> Catholic families, you know, and let's have children, and we grow the numbers by, you know, the number of parents that bring their children to be baptized. We also, for adults, we, um, every parish has a program of Christian initiation, and um, usually it's a year or two-year program of learning about the Catholic faith, and people come to us all the time asking about uh, the Catholic faith seeing if that's something for them as an adult. Some come from no religion, some come from other religions then, and they they ask about it and, and that. So that's kind of new people to Catholicism. In, in particular, like each parish church is in a geographical area, and so the people in that geographical area are invited to come and join. But, for example, in my own church, Many of the people who speak Spanish come from the western part of the valley, and we're in the northern part of the valley, and so they come across several parish lines to come to church here at the cathedral. Uh, the cathedral, on the other hand, at any one service can be you know, half visitors, two-thirds visitors, a third visitors. So because we're downtown in Salt Lake City, we just get a tremendous number of visitors, especially in the summertime. But to grow the congregation, I think, is to be welcoming. And I think the, the first part is that, that you're asking people to make this particular parish, this particular church, their church home. And so to be a church home, it needs to be welcoming. How do I feel comfortable in this particular parish? Some of it is when I go to church, when I'm there on Sunday morning, Saturday night, I see people that I know and I can, you know, look across the pews and, you know, there's someone and there's somebody else and I know them. So the real, the, the growing the congregation is based on welcome to begin with. 
and that people feel that they have a place, that this is their church home, that when they think about going to church and want to spend time praying, they think about your particular church, that this is their, as I said, church home. Um, kind of more of a follow-up question on what you said. So you did talk about how you do have like these um, uh, adult uh, classes for, I guess, for adults considering becoming a Catholic. How does, um, or what is the process like if one does decide to become or join the Catholic Church? So um, again, the, the process first is inquiry, people asking questions. And that's uh, pretty much informal, like what questions do you have, Matt? And then after couple of weeks, three, four, five weeks of inquiry, those people become catechumens, those who want to go forward. And the catechumen program uh, does a little bit more formality, kind of teaching doctrines and practices and traditions and, you know, what is the rosary and, you know, what do we believe about the Trinity and, you know, who is Jesus anyway and what's about the Bible and all kinds of questions. And that usually is about a year of, of what I would call classes, and, and it's really a process of, of learning because, you know, you're not going to learn everything in, in one year. I remember uh, one parish I worked at that the other priest who did the Christian initiation, um, he said that the people should read uh, Catholicism for dummies. And, uh, you know, so just something to learn. So that's coming to to study and just to make sure that this this is what people are want. And for us in particular, you're not joining a particular parish. You know, it's not joining the cathedral church or the cathedral parish. Mm-hmm. You're joining the universal church. So to understand what that universality is. And then particularly just at the beginning of Lent, there's what we call the rite of election. And in the rite of election, it is uh, God choosing the person for the gift of baptism. So uh, it's we never choose God, God always chooses us. So the rite of election and then coming up to the Easter vigil and then on the night before Easter at that mass is the baptism and confirmation and receiving Eucharist for the first time. So that's to be fully initiated into the Catholic Church. So I guess this is, uh, since you've been around for uh, some time, you know, obviously been in the church for a while, um, what is faith to you? How would you uh, describe it maybe to somebody who is uh, maybe not Catholic or maybe not even Christian? So I think faith is a couple of different things. On one level, I think that faith is trust. It's faith in, um, in the movement of God and faith in the community that, that God is present. We also talk about the faith in terms of doctrines and beliefs and practices, kind of the more form almost faith with a capital F, if you will. But I think to walk by faith is to not walk by knowledge in the sense of science knowledge. You know, it's not one plus one is two, but faith is to enter into the mystery of God. How is it that God works in my life? And, you know, what is God doing with me and through me? And you know, leading and guiding. And I think faith is a gift from God, so not everybody's going to have faith. I think, uh, like many things, religion, it's a mystery. <laughs> and <laughs> but, but a mystery to believe, so faith is belief, that God is at work. And I think we have, like, we know that God always brings good out of evil. 
and you know, they say that you know if it's not good yet god's not done you know it's the sense that it's death resurrection jesus rose from the dead so if you stop at the crucifixion in the middle of the difficulty it's not over it's only over when jesus rises from the dead of course that's a new beginning but that sense yeah well like i also say that you know i have faith but i don't let go of the steering wheel so um so faith is trust in god that god's going to take care of things that uh there's a bigger plan afoot than what i can see and what i can do but god always works with us and so don't let go of the steering wheel we got to do our part too i guess i should have asked this before you know um but um could you maybe give um i guess a maybe a brief history of of the catholic church a brief history of the catholic church Okay, 2,000 years in two minutes. Um, so, <laughs> so what we believe is that Jesus had his disciples. We are more familiar with the 12 apostles. That the early people, the people who were followers of Jesus, and you know, roughly it's about 100 people that hung around with Jesus for those three years on and off. And they experienced him dying on the cross and then he appeared to them having risen from the dead so the dead person comes back to them truly alive so physically alive to them and they see it they understand it eventually so then they go out and start telling other people about that one of the big ones of course is saint paul we have some of his writings in that but there of course there were others Pretty soon, what happens in Jerusalem is that in 70, 80, about 30 years, 40 years after Jesus, the Romans destroy the temple, decimate the Jewish people, and pretty much then Christianity emerges as a separate group of people. Of course, at first they're called the Way, eventually they're called Christians. They work their way to Rome, which is the center of the known world to them. And from then they start going around the world. And of course, first it was, you know, what we call East Eastern Europe or uh, Western Asia and the Middle East, and then to Europe and then around the world. Is that, that's oh, a, that's, really, well, it's a really short history. <laughs> oh, that, that's perfect. That's totally perfect. I guess maybe kind of changing a little bit more gears about that. Uh, you've talked about uh, feeling called to the ministry. And so how does one, I guess maybe uh, that you've noticed, um, receive divine guidance or inspiration? I, I would say carefully. <laughs> so, and, so discernment and guidance, I think that God is at work a lot more than we give God credit. Sometimes I just marvel at, you know, how is it that I ran into this person just at the right time? If I had been you know, ahead of myself, like I thought I should be, I would not have run into this person. I wouldn't have had this opportunity. So I think that there's kind of nudgings and pushings from God all the time, that there's there's a real, you know, bigger plan uh, at work than what I can possibly see. But I think in terms of like discernment, when we're talking about discernment of a vocation or a calling, I think one of the the better ways to see it is for most people would be their choice of a marriage partner. So can you, you know, in, in that sense, 
for many people, it's not a, it's not an equation like, you know, well, this person had this trait, that trait, they did this, they did that. But there's a, there's a sense that how did you know, what did you know? And it's like, it, it just, it just made more sense. And the more I got to know the person, the better sense it made. And I think that's kind of divine revelation and inspiration, if you will, that God works in that way. And, and so that, you know, there, like I mentioned earlier, there are many people, a number of people that go to seminary thinking that this is meant for them and they get into it, they start studying it. And as they're praying away, they realize that it's not for them. This is just not their calling. There's something else meant for them. And I think what, uh, what we know in the spiritual life is that you, can, you cannot judge the spiritual life in the moment. But the only way to judge the spiritual life is that if today you can say that I am more loving than I was six months ago. So if today you can say that you are more loving than you were six months ago, then you're on the right track. But if you say, I'm not more loving than I was six months ago, then you're on the wrong track. And so you haven't been listening and you haven't been guided. So I don't, you know, I, I think sometimes we think maybe divine guidance is, you know, St. Paul and going blind and, and that. But I think God is a lot more subtle than that and is a lot more pervasive than that and is, is working with us all the time, leading and guiding and, and bringing the goodness out, bringing out the love that we are to have for each other, that the Greek word is agape the best for the other person. So my next question I do have is um, from what I've been able to observe, you know, in the history of all religions, you know, as time has progressed, you know, as change and circumstances progressed, you know, culturally, as well as uh, technologically, um, there have, and this is, like I said this is with any religion, uh, these, these religions have had to maybe, uh, maybe adjust their doctrines and or practices, or at least change or maybe adjust them. And so in your experience, what is that like? What is the process? Or when do you think it is necessary to make those changes? In our own day, it's now a teaching. So there's, there's, there's dogma, doctrine, and teaching. So it's now a teaching that the death penalty is not possible. It, certainly in the past history of Christianity and Catholicism, you know, the death penalty is widely used. And so there's, as, as we have developed in our society and understanding is that you we try to say that the death penalty is justified because one uh, if this person has taken a life then their life can be forfeited and the justification for that is the protection of society so the idea is that you know once you've taken somebody's life the rest of us are at risk and so to prevent any other people from being killed, we take the life of the killer. But now, in what we would call a, a prison system of life imprisonment, so there's no need to have a death penalty anymore. The teaching of the church is that it's, it's unnecessary in our society today, which would not have been the case a thousand years ago or 500 years ago. So that's a, an example of a change in practice, a change in understanding. I'm certainly there are other changes in understanding, you know, certainly um, 
for a long time, we Catholics thought the earth was flat, you know, so so he developed a theology based on the earth is flat. And, and so there's a theology of, well, I don't even know the right word, it's earth-centered, that the universe is the center of the, the universe. The earth is the center of the universe. And Jesus, of course, is the center of the earth. And so now we know that the earth is just but one small planet in a huge set of galaxies and that. So we're no longer have a theology based on earth-centeredness, but a theology based on, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere, actually. And it's just, those are understandings and that. So a, a dogmatic teaching is unchangeable, whereas a, uh, and a doctrinal teaching can be nuanced and understood. And then a teachings, the teachings change as we have new information and a new understanding. So then what would be a, a doctrine that doesn't change? So a dogma that doesn't change is that there are three persons in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that in the bread and the wine becomes the body and blood of Christ. So those are dogmatic teachings. This concludes part one of my interview with Father Martin Diaz. Please join us next time for part two. The views expressed in the moderate review are solely of the individuals participating and not necessarily of the organizations they are affiliated with. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please tell your friends and please follow us on Twitter at tmodrev, that is the letter T, modrev, one word. Until next time, I'm your host, Jack Taggart.